Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Going uh, in another direction. So, uh, yeah, Emma Dyke, uh, why, where, how? Uh, it'll be good to, to catch up with a successful Olympian anyway. Uh, Grant Nisbet, after 10 o'clock, uh, his reflection on those decisions made at uh, NZR yesterday. Uh, panel, of course, this morning will be uh, perhaps focusing in on uh, those decisions. Uh, how will Scott Robertson be feeling this morning? Uh, Finn Allen's got COVID. Uh, the Black Caps have arrived uh, in Bangladesh, and Finn Allen's brought them a dose of COVID with it. So that's interesting. Uh, Louis Herman Watt and Paul Mawadi from the TAB. Uh, and after 11 o'clock, uh, Ben Moinang Thompson. And Ben uh, is uh, involved with uh, Sarian Taylor's graphic division down there in Dunedin. Uh, and they had uh, <coughs> some interesting moments to get through going into lockdown. So a really, really busy Wednesday morning. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. What do they say about patience being a virtue? A tad romantic, isn't it? But uh, very true if you're a rugby union fan awaiting news from HQ. For yesterday, it came through in bucket loads. Very good and very interesting. Very good is the proposed new rugby championship because uh, through all the pushing and pulling and name calling, the end result is spectacular. In perfect time zones, a sort of mini World Cup will evolve before us. Double headers, famous occasions, full strength squads on neutral grounds for the most part, and all in a wonderfully condensed format. The Aussies will be happy, and that is always a good thing for all of us. Very interesting was the news that Ian Foster will be the all-black head coach through 2023, the end of the next World Cup cycle. Well, actually, slight correction there. It wasn't news that Fozzie will be the general. It's more the timing of the news. Unless you've uh, always been the boss, the general, he who pays the piper, you will know that you're always somewhat on trial, whatever your vocation. If you're the All Blacks coach, you're always on trial, even if you have signed the dotted line of assurance. Trial by us, trial by expectation trial by outcome. So why the heck now though? Why just as all the questions are about to be asked against all those who will be the future hurdles, does the confirmation come through for Fozzie and his lieutenants? Well it's simple, because the power brokers, the decision group, trust their man. They trust his processes, trust his journey, and they trust that it will end at the same finish line. We all understand that. Time will tell if that is the right hunch. Results of the next quarter will confirm or maybe deny that. In the interim though, perhaps we should all jump on the Fozzie train. The decision has been made. Perhaps we should show the faith. There might be some short-term pain, but it's for the long term. Surely, 
It's for the long-term gain. Nine oh six here on SENZ. Uh, well, I promised you, Mark Robinson, uh, the CEO of uh, the NZR. Well, I caught up with him uh, around about uh, thirty minutes ago, and we got stuck into the issues of yesterday. Well, really uh, pleased to say that we've got the, the CEO of uh, NZR New Zealand Rugby with us this morning, Mark Robinson. Mark, good morning. Thanks for joining us, giving up uh, your time. Uh, awkward time in lockdown. I see you, you're still at home there, uh, lockdown like uh, most good Wellingtonians at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, I'm over in Cambridge at home at the moment, Smithy. But good morning, and, and good morning to all the listeners. Um, great to be with you. Yeah, I think I think a lot of New Zealand got familiar with my little study last year, and unfortunately, they're starting to get familiar with it again now with all the stuff we've got going on and, and a few of the zooms I'm doing. So, but um, you know, we're all we're all working through it, aren't we? And sort of gradually getting used to it. Or hopefully, it's not too long. No, hopefully, it's not too long. But uh, we just. Uh we're used to it, as you say. Hey, look, uh, really some quite substantial news coming out of HQ yesterday. Uh, first of all, uh, the reappointment or the confirming of the appointment of uh, Ian Foster through to uh, the World Cup in 2023, which gives everyone some surety. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as we as we said yesterday, um, we're, we're really heartened with the um, growth and development of this, of this um, coaching team and the management team. Um, certainly... You know, all the feedback we're getting from the player group and, and within the environment is really, really positive and um, it seems to be they're growing all the time. So it felt like the the, the timing was right to, to make that decision, um, get the certainty in there and, and allow everyone to really focus on their jobs. So it's, it's a, a look from within the group um, because if you look at the, the record, uh, particularly last year, etc., cetera, uh, it, it hasn't been uh, all that flash and particularly also um, with what you've got coming up. Uh, in terms of testing yourself and testing in Foster's group uh, against the best around the world? Yeah, that was obviously something that was factored in. Um, you know, we, we um, certainly at the back end of last year with the reviews we um, did, we, we considered a lot of those questions, Smithy. Um, and, and as I said, we've had people in the environment through this year looking at um, the, the growth and development and, and response to some of those issues that were um, identified to work on and, and they've made pretty good progress. So... Um, to wait, you know, later on in the year was obviously something that could be considered, but we just thought it was getting too deep into the year um, from our point, and, um, and and the decision was to go now. I guess the other thing is we just don't know how much rugby is going to be played internationally before uh, 2023. I mean, we only have to look at what you've had to organise with this current uh, fixture coming up, this, this current schedule. Uh, to know, so there's no guarantee of the amount that you've, you you can have sort of experiment with. To be fair, yeah, that's right, and that was something we had to consider. You know, to this to this point, I think there's been ten or eleven tests. You know, ordinarily in a tenure of this long, you'd have had probably a minimum of twenty. So um, that that's another consideration we've had to to make a call around and um, to leave it too much longer. Like you say, with the uncertainty we've got there, um, this this just felt like the right timing. Okay, um, so and Ian Foster, the man. What, what do you personally see in Ian Foster, the man, that gives you this confidence uh, to make this quite a big call? Well, I think that's something we we highlighted yesterday that um, that people probably don't and haven't appreciated behind the scenes is the is the leadership he's displayed through this time um, in, in in COVID times, and um, 
we've certainly been very fortunate to have a man of his sort of character and values um, behind the scenes and in front for that matter around the around the player group and our organisation. You know, incredibly um, caring, very composed in these situations, very calm. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously very experienced, um, so he's been able to do a really strong job in bringing a group together, um, given all the uncertainty we're, we're dealing with. And and they're, they're the sort of things, what people, as you say, Smithy, people have their opinions on, on what's happened on the park, but if you ask me personally what I see, they're the sort of attributes I think are really important at this time in terms of leadership. Should we expect, um, then, you haven't uh, formally uh, re-signed, uh, apparently, the, the assistant group. Should we uh, expect that that'll be pretty much formalised shortly? Yes. Yes, you will. I haven't got an exact time frame on that, but um, uh, that's certainly the plan. And I think uh, our, our contracting team's working with those those uh, set of coaches at the moment to, to resolve that as quick as we possibly can. Have you spoken to, uh, I mean, if from outside looking in, okay, the, the other contender quite clearly is, is Scott Robertson. If you read uh, everything that's written and said, uh, have you spoken to him about that appointment uh, through 2023 of Ian Foster? Uh, I haven't had direct contact with um, Razor any time recently, but our, our high-performance people are in constant contact with with um, Razor and, um, uh, you know, about as they are with, with a lot of our coaches right across the board. So... I'm sure those those conversations are um, are ongoing around um, future um, you know development opportunities and how how he's tracking as they are with guys out of the other Super Rugby franchises. Okay, right. Let's um, move on to uh, what uh, the good news. Really, really good news. I mean, that's great news for Ian Foster and everyone as well. But uh, for me, as a rugby fan, what you've been able to come up with in terms of uh, the rugby championship, um, the format looks. Hell of exciting, to be fair. It's like a mini World Cup and the perfect time zone for us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, a fair bit of frustration and tension near the back end of last week from our from our Australian friends. And and um, but as I said yesterday, we had to move through that pretty quickly and um, work towards shoring up the schedule as soon as we possibly could, giving everyone certainty, the fans, um, players, all of our management teams. Um, the the ability to focus on something really tangible and and I agree it is a really meaningful schedule that we're excited and our team's excited to be um, working towards so you know they're now on a plane <coughs> excuse me from tomorrow and um, we'll get into Perth and, and we can really plot out the remainder of the year now out to the start of October with regards to the rugby championship uh, a wee pause and then into the end of year two. So that September the 4th date that, that has been mooted, uh, that falls slightly inside a, a normal 14-day quarantine period. Is, is that the date still uh, proposed for that, that next test match, better side three? It'll fall on either the 3rd or the 4th. Um, we're still waiting for confirmation on that. So uh, we, we should we should ideally hear that before the team takes off tomorrow. Um and what happens is in, in WA, uh, the team will be in a soft quarantine for seven days and on the, uh, on the eighth day they can um, play, obviously. So that, that's the way it works there. OK, that's good news. Um, in terms of um, MIQ, uh, you've got a, a big squad going away of, of 60, uh, around 60 people with support staff, etc. Uh, have you managed to secure spots for them to get back in? Um, bearing in mind, we're not quite sure what date they'll be back? Well, we, we have got spots for the end of the end of the year tour. So at this stage, the team and the Black Ferns and, and their management team are coming back in on the 23rd of November. So that's the certainty we've got um, with regards to the entire playing group. 
Um, so we've got spots allocated for that. Um, for any any players or, or management that um, needed to come in or return before that time, no, we don't have any guarantees. And we're like anyone else in the general public that would have to apply to make those um, requests to find an MIQ spot. So um, so a lot of lot of uncertainty there. But on the basis that people are, are getting on the plane, they understand that, they totally understand that situation and we're working on the basis that, you know, um, the only guarantee is to come back in in November. Last year, Mark, when we got hit unpredicted-wise uh, by COVID for the first time around, it, it, every business took a hit uh, financially. Um, now, of course, uh, I suppose we're a bit more educated in that regard about the whole deal. You've taken a hit again by uh, sacrificing a couple of test matches uh, in this country for sure. Uh, are you better equipped this time round? Have you have you planned uh, more in terms of your contingencies about that? Yeah, I mean, I think across the board, Smithy, I think, you know, we're certainly um, better better equipped to deal with these disruptions. Um, it, it doesn't make it easy but we certainly learned learned a lot from last year and the way we approach these sort of situations um on the financial side there's no doubt that a, that a movement like this and and the pausing of, of rugby domestically um as well as the the removal of rugby you know for the remainder of the year internationally in new zealand has a has a big impact we're just sort of weighing um that all up at the moment and and trying to assess what the, the different scenarios that um that could present for us um so so we, I mean, working on at the start of the year a, a small sort of break-even, small profit um, basis. You know that that will be no doubt um, severely challenged through this. So we just have to flow that through to understand what exactly the the hit might be. So on on that subject, um, we spoke uh, very briefly to uh, Rob Nicol the other day. He gave us uh, his view that uh, the Silver Lake type negotiation, not necessarily with Silver Lake, but that type of negotiation was was making quite good progress. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I think we're, um, you know, every uh, recent bit of dialogue we've had has certainly been very constructive. Um, I think, you know, we only have to look at what's happened in the last um, three or four days to understand the the fragility of of sport and, and a whole range of businesses. And it, and it certainly does bring um, this sort of uh, opportunity into, into focus a lot more, doesn't it? So, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep engaging them over the next little while and, and uh, keep providing each other the... Uh, the kind of information that each other um, requires to, to move it forward. But, yeah, we feel pretty pretty positive about it at the moment. These have been testing times uh, from your point of view and dealing with your counterparts, etc. cetera. Uh, always putting pressure, I suppose, when, particularly when the public look on from the outside, we perceive there might be a bit of friction there. How, how are the relationships uh, with Australia? How is the Sanzar relationship uh, taking over? Oh, look, they... There's certainly, you know, we're in times at the moment, as we've said right the way through COVID, that are incredibly um, challenging and they provide a huge amount of uncertainty. And that provides, you know, a a lot of uh, anxiety from time to time. Um, with regards to Australia, certainly last week was um, frustrating for, for everyone. Um, and I, I think in the fullness of time, you know, it's become clearer by the end of the weekend what actually happened there. Um, but nevertheless, you know, it's... it's um, it's never nice for those things to, to play, have to play out in public. Um, if you look more broadly, I think positively we're getting closer and closer to be able to announce the Super Rugby competition for next year and onwards. Um, there's been some really positive interaction in terms of the preparation for the Olympics between our sevens environments um, and the same on the women's side of the game. You know, there's been some good interaction there around what the future um, of, of that could look like across both countries. So, so 
yeah, clearly, like any relationship, there's, there's challenging times to me, but there's a, I think there's a recognition across the board too. We have to find a way to work together, and, and I'm sure that'll play out over time. There's just from time to time going to be, you know, a few a few glitches here and there. Um, across Stanzar, I think, um, you know, we clearly with with the change in Super Rugby, we don't have the same level of regular dialogue with Argentina and South Africa with regards to professional club rugby or, or Super Rugby. Um, but the dialogue around working up what the future of um, the rugby championship, you know, there's some good conversations going on there. There's been, you know, highlighted different ideas around when the likes of Japan and Fiji may come into that. So they're, they're all things that Sandara are having regular conversations a bit about and, and seems to be a, a good focus on trying to create as much value out of that competition as possible. Hey, Mark, thanks very much for your time this morning. I know you're a very, very busy man uh, uh, great to get some uh, insight into those decisions that came through uh, late yesterday. Uh, all the best uh, with, with what's going forward, and uh, let's get on the bandwagon eh, and uh, jump on behind Fozzie. I think that's the message, isn't it? Well, yeah, and I think I think absolutely, and I think behind um, rugby, I can understand. I mean, the one positive, and when we get all the speculation and conjecture, Smithy, is, is that people desperately care about the game here and are incredibly passionate about it, and we never take that for granted. You know, we, we value um, that scrutiny um, and the... Uh, the um, accountability that comes with it, um, but ultimately, you know, it's 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 still just a game, and it's something we absolutely love. So hopefully, we do find time out from from some of the speculation and, and the scrutiny to actually enjoy it from time to time, because that's the most important thing. Well, if you're ever going to want to enjoy rugby, you've got uh, a five-week window coming up in Australia that says now's your time. Mark Robinson, the CEO of New Zealand Rugby, thanks very much for your time this morning. Uh, stay safe. The voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 9.24 here on SENZ. Uh, slight apologies for the sound quality uh, of that interview, uh, pre-recorded interview with uh, Mark Robertson. Uh, it's just the, the same as it, as it would be on a podcast, really. So, uh, you know, that, that uh, kind of quality wasn't there, but I'm sure that you got the gist of what he was saying and uh, it'll be interesting to see your reaction to it. You can uh, continue to text us on 8833 or even ring us uh, if you feel that strongly about it 0800 150 uh, 811 uh, look uh, we've got two in already without even being prompted but this is such a, a tenuous sort of uh, emotive subject the question of the morning regarding Razor he needs to go overseas achieve something significant something significant to date his claim to fame is winning with the Crusaders which in all due respect that isn't too difficult to do the overseas apprenticeship model has worked reasonably well for the All Blacks, which makes it interesting that Ian Foster hasn't done it. So my prediction is that Foster won't be successful as head coach for the reason mentioned above and his history as a head coach. Cheers, no name attached to that one. But uh, Mike Dawson has come in. Mike, thank you. Uh, in weeks to come, the sports news headline will be along these lines. Scott Razor Robertson to coach overseas. Off to England. To my mind, it is New Zealand rugby's stupidest decision ever. Ian Foster will never win a Rugby World Cup. Mark my words. Enjoying the new station. So, uh, we've also got to Dean calling in from Dunedin. Good morning, Dean. Uh, what about those decisions made yesterday at NZR headquarters? Well, I just heard the end of the interview with Mark Robinson. Uh, I just wish we were all told the truth. Like, I don't know, like I'm I can't believe I've just heard about, about Razor Robinson. I didn't know that. Like, that really pisses me off, but never mind. Um, I don't... I must be sick or something. I don't know, but if Australia have got all these different states that clearly they have, 
on Friday, I'm sort of picking, and we don't know. I'm more chance picking me nose, but that we're going to have a state thing in New Zealand with the South Island versus the North Island type thing regarding this COVID. Now, if there's no COVID in the South Island, and the South Africans are in Perth, and they have to go there because they can quarantine there for the time frame to be safe to play. We all want to be safe. I don't understand why the All Blacks versus South Africa in such a huge game. No, I wouldn't have cared where it was played in New Zealand if we're allowed to play it anywhere. I would have gone. But the fact that I live in Dunedin and it was in Dunedin, I'm kind of pissed off that it's going to be in Townsville or something. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. There's got to be a huge amount of money for the All Blacks to be going over there. Someone's paying a bill somewhere. Has to be. Otherwise, why can't they just fly, even though there's 60 of theirs, and there must be 80 of theirs probably, on a plane back to Dunedin, play a game of rugby, go back to Perth. No one's got it. The bubbles are all clean. Why can't that happen? I don't understand. No one's explaining that to me. Or have I missed something? Well, well, I would imagine, uh, Dean, they have explored that avenue because at the end of the day, them losing quite a lot of income, it would seem. On the outside, it would seem on the outside. Whether they're being compensated uh, from within the, the Australian side of things and the Sanzar side of things, I, I do not know. Um, to be fair, uh, that that will be there, for, you know, for the Chancellor of the Exchequer, etc., to sort through. Uh, what I can say is that there's still so much uncertainty about wherever you're coming from to come into this country. Um, and that's a government thing. It's not a rugby union thing. That's the way the government are thinking at the moment. I understand that, yeah, the way that you feel because it was going to be a big occasion. It was going to be fantastic. Uh, but, you know, I, I, and I understand the passion in your voice, but do we have to just take, uh, at the moment, just take a step back? Do we just have to take a step back and say, well, at least it's on? I, I know, you know, you're probably uh, amongst the a group of fairly passionate Dunedin people when you when you talk this way? I don't even necessarily think it's Dunedin, Smithy. Like as I said, I would have gone anywhere if we're safe to go and watch that game of rugby. But, and I haven't got a lot of money, so don't get me wrong, but I would have made the effort to make sure that I was at that game because it's kind of significant. And I love the game, man. I've never gone to church. I can't stand church. Rugby's my religion. I love it. I mean, it's just what we are. Like, I'm proud as buggery of it. I'm really disappointed, Mark, or well, not. That's Razor Robinson's leading the country. We've seen this before in 2007. Well, it took us a wee while to pack, patch that up, but we did, you know. So we've got to put our hat out for Forster and hopefully he can do the job. Like, I just hope like hell he can, but I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know. But for me, this we, 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 we've got a copy. Like, the government have got a copy. This isn't a bloody political channel anyway. It's a sports channel, but we're copying Sydney anyway, and they've just gone down now to the end of September. So surely Auckland, they, I wouldn't want to be living up there where you are, mate. Like, when are you going to be allowed to do anything? But down here, there's nothing. So surely we've got to be copying the state model with New Zealand being like two states for a wee bit, you know? We don't really want yeah. that. But at the end of yeah. that, there's nothing in the South Island. We're copying them. So we got Queensland, I don't know where they I don't follow it that much, mate. Like, I'm sick of it. But I'm pleased with playing rugby, don't get me wrong. But that particular game, I'd rather it was put off until it was either played in South Africa or Australia. I don't want that game played in Australia. Simple as that. Hey, Dean, thanks very much for your call. I understand you and uh, I sympathise with you. Being a, a passionate, passionate uh, rugby man with that as your religion, I can understand that uh, you're, you're hurting about it and uh, a lot of New Zealanders will be. Just to clarify a couple of points, Razor Robertson hasn't confirmed he's going anywhere at this stage, still contracted to New Zealand. That was just a text coming in surmising that that might be 
um, what comes up and what's on his plate in the future. And point two is, I don't live in Auckland. And I'm pretty happy about that. SCNZ. here on SENZ and whilst the Paralympics uh, kicked off uh, this morning in New Zealand time and uh, they're very busy and heavily into it and New Zealand has uh, medal chances today it's uh, it's always cool to reflect still back on uh, the Tokyo Olympics and uh, to do that with us today I'm very pleased to say we've got Emma Dyke from the New Zealand Women's 8 silver medal winners of course um, in that classic race where they just could not get up and get the goal, but it was a wonderful performance as it was, as it was in that magical 58 minutes of uh, rowing in New Zealand sporting history. Uh, Emma, good morning to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you're, you're out of um, MIQ, I guess, but into lockdown. So have you you've been able to reflect on um, that Tokyo performance and, and uh, celebrate in some capacity? Hi, Anne. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously I've had an large amount of spare time in my hands to think about it but um yeah I mean it is pretty exciting I guess initially when we crossed the line it was almost like a slight disappointment not picking up that goal because that was obviously definitely something we're trained for for so long I guess as everyone does but now um yeah it is very exciting and like having family and friends get yeah so excited and all want to see my medal is pretty cool it's pretty special. So overall uh, what was your Tokyo experience like? Um, to be honest, it definitely wasn't as bad as, I guess, what we hear from here going over to it, um, because coming from a country that has, well, generally no COVID, um, it was a little bit scary, but um, the Japanese people had it running, like, so smoothly, so well, like, the protocols in, um, in place over there were definitely made you feel safe. Um, there was obviously the odd country or odd athlete that you know, didn't wear a mask or didn't wear it properly, but um, we're just trying to stick close in our bubble um, and, yeah, just sanitising everywhere we went. But, yeah, the like experience over there was so incredible. Um, and you can tell that if there wasn't COVID happening, um, it would have been such a spectacularly run Olympic Games and it would have been probably one of the best Olympics ever, I'd say. Yeah, it certainly was, and... Um, you know, from our point of view, it was, it was, uh, the success was uh, unbelievable, of course. Uh, one of the other reasons that I, I was really looking forward to talking to you today, uh, Emma, is because uh, you were in the news uh, just recently on the basis you've decided to take a break away from rowing and, uh, of course, alarm bells start ringing now uh, after what yeah. uh, happened to poor uh, Olivia, Olivia Podmore about stress and yeah. too much and all this sort of thing, pressure. So I just wanted to get your take on it, why, why you'd actually decided to take a break away from rowing. I mean, um, yeah, like obviously mental health is such a huge topic at the moment. But for me, like I first got selected into the Women's Eight in 2015 when I was 19 years old. And I mean, like that's young for rowing, but I guess not young for any other athletes. But um, yeah, and I guess contra- like training continuously for seven years at such a high level like it does take its toll both mentally and physically on you um and I mean I could definitely keep going physically obviously I'm 26 but um I think it's not as such that I'm battling mentally it's just um yeah like having to stay at your like the feelings of trying to be your best every single day day in day out like you're constantly like for me I just always felt like I was competing for my seat and like I get that's part of sport that's what I signed up for and like obviously no one forced me to row but yeah, like it definitely 
it is hard at some points. Like there are so many highs and so many lows. And I think after lockdown last year, I was down on the farm with my family and I realized like how much I loved it. And I wa- it was nice to get away from like the intense training day in, day out. Like I was still having to train like it's quite a high level by myself, but it was nice to be just doing it in my own time and in my own space. So I think that made me realize that I definitely was ready for a break. Um, yeah, just for a bit of a mental refresh, they could come back and like look forward to being back up there. So, so that's the thing, I suppose. What we don't quite understand that we haven't been part of a program like yours, which yeah. uh, you had to start so far out to achieve a single goal. Um, yeah. So, what, what kind of sacrifices have you made? I mean, you know, have you, you, you lost friendships because of it? I mean, you've had to change your way of life. Huh? So, socially, yeah. what, what kind of pressures have you felt? I mean, like, obviously, I'm from the South Island, and we all have to relocate to the North Island, to Cambridge, to um, train full time. And yeah, like, when I first made the team in um, 2015, I obviously had to stop, like, going to friends' parties or, like, doing crazy reunions and that sort of stuff with my friends. And then eventually I just, I just stopped getting invited to things because I knew that I wasn't going to come or I couldn't come. And there was definitely some, I mean, I still keep in contact with a few friends and I, and I see them and it's like, I've seen them, you know, not that long ago. But yeah, like there's definitely friendships I've lost or just, yeah, lost connection with, um, which I mean sad, but I've got an amazing group of rowing friends up there. But then I guess when I come back to the South Island, and it was always it was nice to go catch up with friends, but then some I'm like, I just have lost connection that I, well, not there's no point, but I just wouldn't go see them. Um, but yeah, like socially, I guess I, at school I was like probably too dedicated to my rowing, and I definitely didn't do the whole school time of like going out and going to your first party and all that stuff. Like I literally didn't do any of that. I was so dedicated to my rowing and like rowing camps for the weekends. Um, but I mean, like it's worked out well for me, but it's, oh, I do feel a little bit sad every now and then when I think about that I, yeah, like my youth and like that sort of stuff that I didn't, I guess, have the normal, like, you know, teenage years. 9.39 here on SENZ, and we're uh, very privileged to be talking to uh, Emma Dyke, who is uh, one of our uh, silver medal Olympic members of the Women's 8 crew. Uh, look, uh, one of the other things I, I guess, you know, when you're doing an individual sport, Emma, you, you look in the mirror and you've got to answer to yourself and if it gets too much or whatever, you, you, you've, it's an individual type decision. But when you're in a team, uh, as you are in a women's eight, there's that fear of, I suppose, of letting the others down around you uh, it really comes and hits home. Yeah, like absolutely, definitely. If I felt like I wanted to take a weekend off or a week off, like I just absolutely couldn't. But then in saying that, like it probably was the reason that I just kept going and like kept me going through to Tokyo because I did have that crew with me and like they were all training hard. So I knew that I had to train hard. So it did make it easy to keep going and train hard. But there was definitely times where I was like, oh, I just want to take a week off and go home, like see my family. But yeah, you just like couldn't. So if, if, if you're struggling, if you were struggling uh, in that respect with pressures and, and wanting yeah. to perhaps break away and that kind of thing, are, are there good structures within the, the rowing program to support you or, or someone to talk to about that kind of thing? Yeah, we definitely have a great support crew around us. Like We have um, psychologists and that which are really good to talk to and like even other girls like from other crews are always a good thing to talk to. But they have actually, after lockdown last year, they realised like Rony Zealand realised that we can train by ourselves and it does go well. So after that, we started having the odd 
like week or the odd weekend where we could go home and train elsewhere away from Rowan, New Zealand, which I think was quite good. And I think going forward, they are going to try and do that a lot more. That we do have a lot more freedom to go see our families and friends because I think they realised that lockdown was so good for all of us to like spend that time with family that we don't normally really ever get other than Christmas time. I just wonder, uh, did you have any signs? Were there any signs quite a way back or quite a long way out? I mean, once you were committed to the Olympics, you were committed, as you say, but how long yeah. have you been sort of um, living with this idea that perhaps, you know, uh, you wanted to do something else? Um, honestly, only since, like, I guess beginning, mid of, like, 2019. I think it was... Um, there was just, I not, I, I don't know if I went through like, there was no like specific thing that I guess happened or like that I noticed. But I just started kind of like almost going through the like motions. Like I would just turn up to training as I do every day, but there was no like enjoyment in it. Like I wasn't like, because I normally, I used to be so excited to come to training to see my rowing friends and like do all of that. But I just kind of was like, oh, another day, like another dollar type of thing. Um, and I guess like it is such a hard sport to like, I guess not enjoy like we are very lucky with our lifestyle and rowing but I think for me losing the enjoyment was like a big factor because it made having to train like so hard because I, each training session is so hard that to not enjoy it as such yeah was definitely a sign for me. What will you miss most about it? Um, I definitely will miss the socialise like the social side of it and like even the going overseas and like I love going on tour overseas and seeing all your like international rowing friends are so cool um but yeah like I will miss getting to see my group of friends up there twice a day every day like it's pretty cool it's pretty fun but I am so looking forward to season off. Hey Emma if if you hadn't say someone had sort of uh, pressured you in to say, look, we got the silver this time round, we're going for the gold, which is a huge commitment uh, what, to Paris in about three years' time. If you yeah. had have been talked into that, what do you feel it could have been dangerous for you? Um, I mean, no, not for me personally. I don't think it would have been. I think, like, knowing that it was a three-year cycle, I feel like it would have been all right. And, like, I do, like, I do love rowing. I love my lifestyle up there. Like, it's so great. But I just think I would have been, again, like going through the motions, just turning up to training, like knowing I was getting paid to pretty much keep fit. Like that's what it would have been. So I wouldn't have, it almost would have been, I mean, like, yeah, like I would have got through it fine. But I think um, I just wouldn't have enjoyed it and it would have been hard to like turn up every day. But I don't think I would have like hugely struggled mentally. I just, yeah, probably would have battled to um, enjoy training, but I would have enjoyed everything else. So after all this time in this disciplined, um, organised programme where pretty much everything's mapped out for you, uh, what now? Yeah. Uh, what now? You, you sound too energetic, you sound too bubbly uh, to sit back on the farm or whatever for very long. I think there's, there's something else in store, surely. Yeah, gosh, no, I'm not staying back on the farm. I love the farm, but I want to go do something bigger and better. But um, I am hopefully going to the UK to do... Hopefully a coaching role, but it would depend on when I can obviously go over there because now our level four lockdown has put a halt on completing my visa, which is a little bit of a shame, but it is what it is. Um, so yeah, hopefully my goal would be to get over there before the end of September, but I guess it's just a waiting game at the moment for me. Um, but regardless, I still want to go to the UK. It'll just depend on whether I can get a rowing role or not. But um, yeah, I'm so excited. Good on you, Emma. Hey, look, hey, fantastic to talk to you. 
sound like a great person uh, and uh, obviously you, you've got things uh, on track now and you know exactly what direction you want to go into but you've had success in the interim. Congratulations on uh, what you've achieved in rowing and uh, all the best for the future, eh? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, no problem. Uh, Emma Dyke there, what a, a cracking sounding young lady she is. And our sport's full of uh, very, very impressive women, I've got to say. 9.45 here on SENZ. It, it, it caught me a little bit by surprise, I think it's fair to say, and I, I imagine it would have caught everyone by surprise because the news coming out of the rugby union I was expecting yesterday, or New Zealand rugby, was you know the, the confirmation of, of what's coming up in the immediate future for the All Blacks uh, in terms of uh, their tour, in terms of where they were going to play the games. Um, the September 3rd or 4th, we still don't even know, haven't got a... a Defined date, third or fourth, we heard from Mark Robinson uh, about Bledisloe Cup number three. What we do know, though, uh, John Day, is that the All Blacks are going to be sending quite a depleted squad uh, in terms of experience to Bledisloe Cup three. And, and if uh, Ian Foster was able to win that in Perth, having lost last year, uh, with a depleted squad, that would be a big tick in the column to begin with, wouldn't it? Yeah, we're talking about some major players here, Smithy. You're 9 and 10, Aaron Smith and Richie Maunga, and the standing captain, Sam Whitelock. So you couldn't really think of three bigger players, could you, at the moment? I guess Chuck and Brody Retallick, but holy moly, that is, that is a depleted side against a fired-up Wallabies. Uh, you kind of read between the lines with Mark Robinson that things did not go well with Rugby Australia uh, last week, and they're still a bit pissed off, so... It could be a hell of a test whenever that happens, uh, the third or the fourth. So, yeah, it'll be big for Foster if he can win that one and then going forward as well. It's going to be a hell of a tournament yeah. for him, but feeling better that now that he's locked in. Yeah, I, I kind of feel better. I feel better for him. I, I feel, you know, I, I want to see the guy given a chance. I, I, you know, I think the fact of the matter is uh, the gap is closed. I mean, you know, a lot of people are uh, holding South, Afri South Africa out as the Springboks out as the yardstick here. I'm not quite sure why they're holding them out. You know, okay, they're the current world champions, so I suppose they deserve respect in that. But, um, you know, they've played the Lions at home. That was a mishmash, pretty ugly type series. They've beaten, predictably beaten Argentina at home. Um, so I'm not really, at this point, absolutely convinced that South Africa are the yardstick. But I think overall, by the time we've been uh, through the US and up to the UK, I think we'll get a better indication. But he's got the job. Let's just uh, live with it and jump on the bandwagon. 9.53. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the holder. Know when the folder. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Good news from the, the weekend's one, or Monday one, sorry, I should say. Cleveland Indians just, they, they beat the LA Angels at $1.76. Uh, Nakaxa beat the FC URS at $1.60. Uh, and this morning, Swansea City beat Plymouth Argyle 4-1. So that one got up at $4.56. Not so great with yesterday's one. Uh, Gasquet beat Gerasimov, no problem there. Uh, Brentford uh, beat Forest Green Rovers at $1.36. Aston Villa beat Barrow at $1.36. But the Astros... Uh, the Houston Astros got absolutely belted by the Kansas City Royals, 7-1. So uh, at $1.38 favourites, uh, that was very disappointing. Today, uh, it's just a two-prong one. It was going to be a three-prong one, but uh, my horse, Too Much to Bear, has been scratched at Kensington. So just a two-prong one today, simple one. Uh, the Dodgers to beat the Padres. Ur Urias is on the mound for the Dodgers, $1.69. 
And in the J-League later on uh, this evening, Toby to beat Oita. Toby to beat Oita at $1.85. Uh, and that gets you back to $3.18. And that's not so bad either, is it? So uh, good news, bad news, and good news again today. And uh, three multis. News time is 10 o'clock. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 10.03 here uh, on SCNZ. News coming out of uh, NZR yesterday. Two batches of news, really, confirming most, uh, about 99% of anyway, of the upcoming schedule for the Rugby Championship. Still uh, a little bit of doubt whether it's the 3rd or 4th of September uh, when the All Blacks will play the Wallabies in Perth for Bledisloe 3. But the big news, I think, uh, was uh, a little bit of a surprise announcement that uh, Ian Foster uh, has been re-signed uh, and uh, that was towards the end of, in fact, the end of the World Cup in 2023. I, I'm not quite sure uh, really it was because of the news that he has or the timing of the announcement, which was the surprising thing. Anyway, we'll find out for sure now because uh, Grant Nisbet is on the line, of course, the voice of rugby uh, on television in New Zealand for uh, a couple of decades now at least. Uh, Nisbo, good morning to you. Yet another case of lockdown, but you're in Wellington, uh, in the hot spot of Wellington. It wasn't a Miramar that breakout, was it? Surely. <laughs> G'day, Smithy. Um, well, they say it was uh, part of it, um, but I wouldn't know, apart from uh, getting in the car and going down to Seatoon Beach and walking around the coast uh, daily. I really wouldn't know, Smithy. Um, it's sort of uh, it's a very difficult time, isn't it, really? And uh, we're all it sitting is. here sort of wondering what to do. I'm, I'm pondering over the hard Sudoku at the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you'll be a perfectionist at it, the way things are going. This, but here's here's uh, the thing that, of course, you, you would have um, taken a lot of interest in, in uh, what's coming up now for, in terms of the All Blacks. But let's, let's gonna get on to uh, Ian Foster, first of all. Were you surprised at the timing of the announcement? I didn't see it coming. No, I didn't see it coming either, but I'm not surprised, really. I, I think the guy needed an endorsement before he heads off on potentially a three- or four-month uh, trip away where potentially he's going to play, what, 10 test matches. I think he needs a bit of an endorsement, a little bit of an um, encouragement from the NZRU to say, yeah, you're doing a good job and we're happy with it. Um, I don't think he needs that uncertainty and... Uh, so I, I think they've done the right thing, quite frankly. I mean, you could argue the toss. You could say, well, you know, Razor should be given a chance, blah, blah, blah. We've heard that argument now for the last 12 months. But I think the incumbent needs to be given the opportunity to prove himself. And I'm sure, and they've done it before, I'm sure if things were to go awry, there'd always be a plan B. Uh, remember back in, I mean, this is before the professional era, I know, but back, um, you know, when Grizz Wiley was starting to falter a wee bit uh, around about 91, they, they pulled in John Hart at the last minute to sort of give him a hand. Now, potentially it was, a, it was uh, and it didn't really work out, but nevertheless, it can be done. So, look, um, I, I endorse it. I, I think that it's, it's the right thing to do. And let's face it, the World Cup is only just around the corner now, and you've got to have confidence in the coach. He was given the job. He had a shaky year last year. Um, things not looking quite so bad this year, but in the next uh, three or four months, how tough is that going to be? It's going to be tough, all right. I mean, it's, it's going to be a real examination, and I think that's, uh, that's the reason why a lot of, uh, I won't say uh, doom merchants, but a lot of uh, non-Ian Foster supporters 
have said, let's just wait and see just how good this guy is when he has to play against South Africa on neutral ground, when he has to, uh, you know, take a, his team north, um, you know, uh, to the UK and, and just see how under pressure they go up there. Uh, so I, I, can see, I can see the merit in that as well because that, that was, I think, originally going to be the litmus test of, of the whole situation. Um, I, I can't help thinking, that, and whilst I agree that it's nice to have surety in your job, there, there should still be, there should still perhaps have been a, a slightly different barometer in terms of the level, level of success. Yeah, look, he's had a really tough time, hasn't he? I mean, we know what happened last year, and as far as they got was Australia. They never went on the traditional trip to South Africa or to Argentina or north. Um, so there was no real scrutiny in that regard. So I think we kind of have to write off last year a wee bit. This year, it looks like things are sort of coming back to normal, even though we've only had a couple of home test matches of any significance. Uh, there'll be real scrutiny now, and particularly as you were just discussing before the news, uh, with the fact that there'll be several or three, may potentially three key players not available for the next uh, three or four weeks. And that'll put enormous pressure on the guy because, you know, when we look back on the Foster reign and we see that the, the All Blacks lost in Perth, for instance, no one's going to remember that Aaron Smith wasn't there, Richie Moonga wasn't there, Sam Whitelock wasn't there. All they're going to do is look at the bold result. And so, um, you know, this puts enormous pressure on the coaching group. So, OK, no Whitelock, no Aaron Smith, um, absolutely. Um, you know... I just wonder who your next leader is, your, your successor to... Uh, do we look at another all-black captain uh, coming up here? Uh, I don't think Dane Coles is going as well. So uh, we're starting to look, uh, scratch our heads a wee bit in terms of leadership. And this is a quite a big campaign, let's not forget. Yeah, look, I'd imagine that I'd imagine that Wildlock and Smith will join the party at some point. Um, and they are obviously, I mean, we know that Sam Whitelock is the interim captain with Sam Kane currently out. And then when Whitelock didn't play in Dunedin against uh, Fiji, it was Smith. So, you know, they, they are the two obvious guys who would step in, but neither of them would appear to be going. So then you've got to start looking around to see who's next. And uh, I suppose the two that stand out initially would be Cody Taylor and, uh, and Adi Savia. Now, Cody Taylor hasn't been in the best of form, I don't think, this year, and I think he might well be the first to admit it, but he did show signs in that last Bledisloe Cup. He got a couple of tries, and he looked uh, to be running uh, with a lot more confidence. Um, so I get the feeling that he's rolling back into form, and, uh, of course, he'll be a starter as well without Dane Coles around. And the other potential leader, I think, would be Adi Savia. Now, I'm not sure that he is all that comfortable in the role. I mean, he did the job with the Hurricanes. I don't know whether, and you'd have to ask him, whether he's absolutely comfortable in that role. I think he's a guy who just prefers to get on with it and play his own game. So of those guys, I'm thinking that they'll probably look at Cody Taylor. He's done the job with the, with the Crusaders in the past. And um, and I, outside of that, I really can't see too many others. I guess you could argue Bowden Barrett, but um, a bit like Artie Sabir, I think I'd, he'd just prefer to concentrate on what he, what he has to do. And, of course, he's not at the moment the incumbent number 10. He'll want to try and cement himself in that position. And the added, uh, the added I guess, um, 
burden of being the captain may not sit all that well with them. So I think nailing it down, Smithy, I'd be looking at Cody Taylor. Yeah, that's interesting one. I, I guess they could consider Scott Barrett uh, as a temporary one on the basis that he's captain the Crusaders uh, to a title. Uh, and on the, well, although he didn't play very much, it's fair to say. Uh, also, uh, the fact that uh, he'll be back in, and there would, there would be an irony about it, because if he captains them uh, out onto Optus Stadium, of course, in Perth, Nisbo, it's the one they got sent off from. <laughs> you did, absolutely, didn't he? And, uh, and the All Blacks got a hor- horrible hiding. They'll want to try and redress that. Um, yeah, but that wasn't exactly a red-letter day for Scott Barry. Yeah, he, look, he'd be in the mix, I suppose. But um, at the moment, he, he is not a starting All Black. Uh, I guess with Stan Whitelock out, he will be. Um, but of, of the available candidates, I'd be thinking maybe Taylor. What did you make of um, what they've come up with? I, I, I look, from a, just from a fan's point of view, a New Zealand rugby fan's point of view, it's coming in on a great time slot for us. There's double headers. I mean, you know, it's just going to be a feast the, the way I look at it. I, I don't see too many downsides uh, from our point of view looking on. Do you? No, I don't. No, I don't. I, I, think, it's, I think it's outstanding, really. And, and um, look, there's been a lot of toing and froing over the last week or so as to how this thing was going to play out. And we've had all sorts of situations where, you know, are they going to go to Perth at all? Well, that seems to have been resolved. And then what's going to happen? Are they going to head north and play in the Northern Hemisphere? Um, but now they've resolved that they're going to play in Queensland and uh, look, they've got some fantastic stadiums there so I don't, I don't think that is an issue and um, you know, New Zealanders can just sit back and enjoy it I, I simply don't see any downsides to it No, I don't either uh, The relationship, um, even uh, Mark Robinson uh, this morning when I spoke to him was just a, uh, a little bit sheepish about the whole relationship kind of thing it's been a bit tenuous at best lately with all sorts of... I mean, every year they seem to be debating about formats and, and the makeup of competitions, etc. Uh, and now we've had all this, uh, this dispute in that. Australia, in the end, got a great deal for them, but it just seems that Mark Robinson might be having a, a few issues because, let's, let's remember, he's not long time in the job in terms of, if you look at Steve Chu, who was there like forever. Um, he's had a pretty rough start and he's having to build some bridges here, I would imagine. Yeah, well, look, the, the bloke in Australia, Marinos, he hasn't been around for very long. He's a, he's a South African, as we know. In fact, he played in Super Rugby when it first started. And um, he headed up Sanzar, and he's now moved to head up Australian Rugby. Um, he's a, he sounds to me like he's, uh, he's not afraid to speak his mind, this guy. Um, whereas, I think, whereas I think Mark Robinson is a bit more of a diplomat. And I heard the interview you did with him this morning, and... You know, you try and read between the lines a wee bit, but yeah, look, the relationship's not great. Look, I don't know whether the Aussies really have got the high moral ground here. Uh, to win, you've got to win on the park, um, and uh, you know, and they're not, quite frankly. They've won the Bledisloe Cup for a hundred and thousand years, and uh, and they're basically trying to dictate how things work. Well, I don't know about that. I just think that um, you know, if you, if you want to take the moral high ground, then you've got to start winning. And um, and I, I think Robinson has handled himself damn well, actually. I totally endorse the fact of not getting on the plane and heading off to Perth last week uh, with no absolute assurance about what was going to happen and potentially taking blokes away a week or two earlier and they're going to be away for maybe three and a half months. So I totally endorse what he did there. And, um, you know, I think... Uh, 
there's a lot of work to go on, absolutely. And uh, they, they're bidding for the World Cup in 2027, I think it is, and they're going to need New Zealand's endorsement for that. Um, and uh, they'll, they'll come cap in hand for sure to New Zealand rugby and say, we need you to, uh, to give us the thumbs up. And given what happened, uh, when was it? Way back in 2003, when they fundamentally stripped away the World Cup from New Zealand, I think actually we're holding the mi- high moral ground here. Interesting. Uh, Nisbo, from a broadcast point of view, uh, I know you, um, you've got uh, an operation coming back, uh, up shortly, which means you aren't uh, able to go on a, 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 the early part of the venture. Anyway, do, do we know, do we know uh, uh, yet uh, what Sky's plans are? Or uh, I mean, I should know, but I don't. I simply don't. Would we, would we send commentary teams? Is the problem MIQ getting commentary teams back in before Christmas? Yeah, I think there's a myriad of problems, uh, Smithy, and, and, and I know no more than what you do, um, but I think the MIQ is a real issue. You know, I mean, I know the All Blacks have, uh, have booked, but um, you don't want to be stuck, uh, well, I mean, it's, there are worse ways to be stuck, I suppose, but stuck in London and, and find that you've got to wait for six weeks. I mean, you've got to take your turn in the queue. Um, I'm sure there's, uh, you know, there's no preference given uh, to anyone in particular, so... I think they are sort of issues that Squire is wrestling with at the moment, uh, Smithy. And look, I, I really haven't got a clue. Okay, uh, we'll leave it at that, Nisbo. Uh, look, uh, thanks very much. Enjoy your sea tune this afternoon. That'll be nice, I'm sure. Uh, and um, you can perhaps uh, have a maybe just a, a little bit of a vino at the end of the day to celebrate it. But uh, yeah, uh, interesting news coming out of there. Always a, a pleasure to catch up with you, mate. Uh, stay f- safe and well down in the capital, eh? Yeah, good on you, Smithy. Take it easy. Yeah, cheers, Grant and but there, folks. Uh, um, always got his finger on the pulse of, of what's going on in rugby, and uh, really good to talk to him. If you want a definitive answer, uh, that's the man uh, with the voice and with all the experience. You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Andrew Gordy uh, from News Hub, Pat McKendry, of course, uh, joining us as well. So, uh, Pat McKendry, I'd like to start with you. And the obvious question is uh, the timing of the Ian Foster uh, announcement as the All Black coach through to the end of the World Cup 2023. How do you feel about that? Yeah, good day, guys. Um, look, I think it's a common sense uh, decision by the board. I'm, I'm surprised it's taken them this long. I think it would have been pretty cruel and unusual type of punishment to send Foster and his assistants and, and the squad uh, away to Australia uh, and potentially three months away, from, well, it is three months away from home, um, you know, with, with no clarity about what's happening next year and beyond. So, uh, you know, I've, I've said before on your show, Smitty, that I, I sort of sympathised a bit with, um, with Ian Foster and his assistants sort of leading up to this point because I think it was an untenable situation. Uh, I think it, um, it certainly wouldn't help the squad dynamic at all. Uh, and, the, you know, these are unusual times, obviously, with, with COVID. And so I think that uh, the All Blacks and Foster needed as much clarity as they could get, and, and this provides it. So I applaud the decision, and uh, we'll sit back and, and wait to see what happens there in terms of performance. Andrew Gordy, uh, you reported it yesterday. Uh, how do you feel about the whole deal? Uh, look, I feel a, bit, a, a wee bit indifferent about the whole thing, really. I mean, look, I'm probably in the camp that um, 
I, I think that Scott Robertson should be coaching the All Blacks, but they decided to go the other way. Ian Foster is obviously the man in the job. Um, he's done uh, an okay in the job to this point, but it would have been absurd to think that New Zealand rugby at this juncture would have got rid of him and put in, put in Scott Robertson. They're coming off a record victory over the Wallabies at Eden Park. Um, I, I completely understand the timing from the point of view of um, his stocks are high, I suppose, in, in that regard, probably higher than they've ever been, coming off a record victory. And like Pat says, they're heading away for um, a, a long period now, a really tough slog away from home. And it would have been ridiculous, equally ridiculous, to send them away from that for that period of time and have no certainty about what's happening going forward. Now they've got that certainty, and it's sort of like, well, even if there was any sort of feeling within the camp that, you know, I, maybe I would like Scott Robertson to be the coach. Well, it's not happening now, is it? So you better get on board or you're, or you're going to get off the train pretty quickly. So, Gords, what happens if um, it, by the end of uh, the year you have been reporting and uh, leading your stories with uh, three or four or five all-black losses? What, what would you be thinking at that point? What, which, let's face it, Smithy, is not beyond the realms of possibility, is it? I mean, who knows? We could see South Africa come down for this rugby championship now. It's... it's it, it wouldn't be a, a huge surprise, would it, especially when you consider results last year, um, to see the All Blacks lose one, two, possibly even three games um, in this rugby championship, and then who knows what will happen on, on the end of year tour. Like, what you're suggesting to me is, is would it actually not be an enormous surprise? But, but it w- I still think it wouldn't have been fair for New Zealand rugby, and it sounds like, judging by what, some of the things that I've read this morning, that they were even contemplating waiting until after the All Blacks had faced um, South Africa, at least in this rugby championship, I, I personally don't think that would have been right. It wouldn't have been right for the team. It wouldn't have been right uh, or fair for Ian Foster either. I mean, you'd have to sit back and say, uh, you would have started going the other way, I think, and going, geez, man, what, th- why are they being so almost nasty to this guy? Like, it, it would have been brutally unfair, I think, and, and pretty unreasonable work conditions, if you can just put it in those terms, um, for, for someone to head away for that extended period of time with with a complete lack of certainty over their future. So I think I, I don't disagree, in it and I think it's quite possible what, what you're saying will happen. Um, but I still feel that the, the right decision has been, has been reached and the right move has, has been made. Pat McKendry, if you put yourself in Scott Robertson's shoes, you, you've got this deal, I think, uh, with uh, New Zealand rugby anyway as a fallback. But you're going to have to be even more patient. How does, uh, how does he feel this morning, Scott Robertson? I don't think he'll be surprised at all. You know, he's he's got that knowledge that he's got a, uh, I think it's a three-year contract that he re-signed. Um, so, you know, he I think I'm sure, like, he's a pretty pragmatic guy, Robertson. He would have assumed that Foster just, Foster's contract would have rolled over. It won't be any surprise to him. Um, he would have been planning on, you know, the Crusaders regardless. So, um, but just back to, to what Gord said, look, I agree. I think the, the board... Um, backed Foster when they appointed him, and and they they had to have the courage of their convictions to to roll over that contract because it was completely untenable. You know, the alternative was was, was just certainly not going to happen. It's just completely unrealistic. So they've done the only thing they could, and I, I just think they should have done it earlier, to be honest. Uh, in terms of uh, Pat, in terms of what uh, they've rolled out and uh, and the schedule for the rugby championship. It looks pretty inviting for a rugby fan in New Zealand, doesn't it? I don't think there's too many downsides to it. I agree. Um, hopefully, the Australian crowds respond as well. Um, you know, for uh, after the uh, after the Australian game in Perth, we've got 
four double headers in Queensland, obviously. So um, a, a real feast of rugby coming up for everyone. And I just hope that the crowds respond to that and create um, something approaching a pretty good atmosphere. Obviously, the historic 100th test between the All Blacks and Springboks is going to happen in uh, Townsville uh, rather than Dunedin, which is a bit of a shame, but that's just the way it is. And, you know, hopefully it'll be a highly anticipated match regardless. Um, and hopefully it sort of lives up to its promise. I see Mr. and Mrs. Gordy sitting down uh, with a, a nice bottle of something <laughs> at a very nice time slot watching the All Blacks instead of uh, perhaps um, other time slots. So, uh, you you impressed with the with the schedule, Gordes? I'd suggest maybe a couple of bottles, maybe even maybe a couple of bottles. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, it's, I mean, I mean, what a, what a time to can I just say as well? What a time to be a sports fan if you live in Queensland, man. What would seriously? What would the sports fan in this part of the world do right now without Queensland? They are they are putting it all on for whether it's you know rugby league and, and now rugby union. It's it's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? And and I, I love the idea of being able to sit down um, on a on a Saturday, or I think there might be, might even be a Sunday night on the cards there, where you're watching pretty effectively back to back test matches in the in the same venue um, to two back to back games of rugby championship. Like that's just going to be outstanding, isn't it? I am a wee bit concerned though at the suggestion that um, I think the, that that game we're talking about, all the hundredth test between the All Blacks and the Springboks, is going to be essentially the curtain raiser to the Wallabies versus uh, Argentina. I mean, what's going on there, fellas? That's, that's not right, is it? <laughs> no, well, I, I, I did glean from uh, what Andy Marinos said is, and uh, someone else as well said that um, they will be arranging time slots to suit TV audiences as much as they possibly can. Uh, so therefore, uh, the All Blacks might play after the Wallabies at some certain uh, some certain point, and the um, Springboks may have the late game uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, fellas, uh, just uh, I'll, I'll leave you with that. I'm, when I come back and ask you who, now that, uh, of course, Sam Whitelock's not going to be there uh, initially, Aaron Smith's not going to be there, Sam Kane's not going to be there, who is your All Black skipper? It's a hell of an honour. Uh, who do they give it to? Uh, in the meantime, uh, we're coming up to the news with, with Trudy here uh, at SENZ. It's 10.30. Second part of the panel, but stunned actually to hear that news about uh, Charlie Watts, uh, drummer of the Rolling Stones, uh, is gone. Gee whiz. Okay, uh, in terms of importance, the all-black captaincy. uh, That's an issue, uh, and it's going to be one I I imagine Ian Foster's already made up his mind, but Pat McKendry, who would your choice be out of the squad that we know is going? Look, I think it'll probably come down to Artie Sevilla or... Cody Taylor, and I'll, I'll be inclined to go with Cody Taylor for the fact that look, both, both players have been outstanding recently, especially in that recent Wetterslow uh, Cup test at Eden Park, but I'll go with uh, Cody Taylor because uh, he's a specialist hooker, Artie's, Artie's got enough going on uh, at number eight, which for him probably isn't his preferred position, I think he'd prefer to be at seven, but he's at eight and he's doing a, a damn fine job of it. I just think that he should be left to concentrate on that. And um, I think Cody Taylor could, could handle the responsibility. Perhaps uh, it'll just be a little bit lighter on his shoulders than for, for Artie. Uh, Gordes, uh, Cody Taylor, your choice or some other? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, and look, to be perfectly honest, I can't really add an, an awful lot to what, um, to what Pat's just said, other than the fact that um, I, just, I, I just have a, an, an enormous amount of respect for Cody Taylor. Actually, I like his sort of quiet leadership style he's very um 
understated, but he's very eloquent uh, and obviously an outstanding player. I think that the way he's performed, um, particularly over the last couple of seasons, he has, um, you know, I, I sort of wondered for a while there, like, you know, there was a, there was a period there where Dane Coles, I, I feel like, was by far and away, like, the standout hooker in, in world rugby, you know, pretty much changed the, the way... Um, the way we saw hookers, I suppose, and, and, and the way the position was played. But, man, Cody Taylor's just been, been absolutely outstanding. And I don't know, actually, I was going to ask Ted, actually, what's, what's the status of Dane Coles? Is, is that task going to rule him out of um, the, the, at least the early part of this, the squad? Or, or will he be travelling? Do you expect him to be named tomorrow? I'm not sure. I haven't seen any word about him being in doubt. Um, I think it's a niggly one that they sort of, you know, take week by week. But, um, having um, starting with Cody, <clears throat> excuse me, and I, I quite like the, the way uh, Samasoni Takiyahu is, is progressing too. He's a he's a big muscular guy who's who's quite different uh, to Dane Coles, um, and I think you know he could be quite important against the the box and the Pumas in particular. So uh, yeah, obviously a lot, quite a lot of depth at hooker, and, and I 100% agree, Cody Taylor. He's just he just keeps developing. Um, quite remarkable, really. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed for him that he that he gets the top job. Here's one uh, for you, Gords, and uh, this will hit you between the eyes. You might have even thought about it actually. But if I'm representing my country overseas, uh, All Black, uh, individual sport, or whatever, but I am actually representing New Zealand, having been picked to do so from here, can I jump the queue? Should I jump the queue in MIQ? Oh, gee, that's a good question, Smithy. Um, it's 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 tough to. Oh, gee whiz, yeah, you have set me square in the eyes of that. Actually, to be fair, like it's hard to justify, isn't it? I think it's a wee bit hard to justify. And and look, the I, the, the reason I'm finding that difficult to answer is I'm not privy to obviously all the information, all the, and I'm sure there are hundreds, thousands of stories of people who are desperately trying to get home. Um, to, to New Zealand um, for, for one reason or another, but mainly motivated by COVID, okay? Um, but look, I suppose the other, the other factor there is this pandemic's been around for a while now. If you're, if you're not home now, if you haven't taken the opportunity to come home now, I'm sort of, sort of sitting there going, well, at, at what point does that end? Um, and we do start allowing um, other, other people, and, and in this case we're talking about athletes who have probably gone out of their way to uh, make sure that they are fully vaccinated by this point. Um, is there any reason why at this point in, in the pandemic now, we're a, good, we're a good, what, 18 months, two years pretty much into this pandemic, um, that we shouldn't start prioritising those who have gone out of their way to get vaccinated and are doing all they can to represent this country and to keep other aspects of, of life and, and industry moving along. Um, it probably... You know, perhaps it is getting to that point now where, yeah, perhaps we do start need, needing to prioritise not just, not only sports people but but business leaders, et cetera, et cetera, who uh, are doing what they can uh, in important roles to keep, like I say, industry moving along. Pat McKendry, your thoughts? <laughs> um, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy that Andrew got that one before me. Um, look, <laughs> I, I agree. I, I think. Um, I think it's probably going to come down, you know, as we as we move forward uh, to more of a points-based sort of a system, isn't it? Um, because we've got a lot of essential workers, uh, healthcare people, um, you know, in the medical industry and, and the mental health industry coming in. I, I believe they have sort of preferential treatment in terms of MIQ. 
So uh, the other thing is, I mean, how do you sort of prove that you, um, if you have bereavement, I guess, or I mean, why? What 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 sets certain people apart? I mean, it's just a bureaucratic nightmare, isn't it? But um, in terms of athletes, All Blacks, uh, New Zealand cricket team, uh, they they do a bit to cheer us up now and again, don't they? So um, I think um, I think after all that, after that big preamble, um, I think yeah. Yeah, they probably should start to, to edge uh, to the, towards the front of the queue. It's an interesting one, isn't it? You know, the, the medalists come home from the Olympics. We just want to see them straight away. We don't want them to be in lockdown for two weeks or, or that kind of thing. We, we wanted to reach out and touch them. So the fact that they were actually, they got exemptions, well, I won't say exemptions, but they were arranged that they go these MIQ spots to get back as soon as they could was the and the same with the black caps with the mace etc the world test championship uh, here's another left fielder just before we go fellas uh charlie watts as uh, we've just been told drummer of the rolling stones i've just found out has, has passed away uh who, which musician in your life would be you would be or have you been most upset about passing away pat mckendry oh jeepers um I'll just say, firstly, I, I remember seeing Charlie Watts um, many years ago at the Wimbledon Greyhounds. Um, it must have been about 15 years ago now. <laughs> so that was, uh, I still remember, still remember that. That was brilliant. Um, what have, who have I been most upset about? Cheetahs. Uh, I, I can't actually answer that. I guess Chris Cornell was a big one because, you know, it didn't need to happen. Um, Chris from, from Audio Slave. Um, I think that was a couple of years ago. Uh, so I'll probably go with that. Um, Michael Hutchins was a bit of a shocker, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I'll leave it there. Okay, Gords? Yeah, that's a, that, that is a tough one. Good call about uh, Chris Cornell. And I like that you know, you've obviously revealed a bit of your back catalogue there as well, um, Pat, which I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm loving that. Um, um, I'll tell you what, the one that really, I don't know why, shocked me and, and did make me a bit sad, um, not, not terribly long ago, was Tom Petty, actually. Um, Tom Petty, mm. just such a, such a great guy, and he's one of those guys that I reckon, for a lot of people, they'd be like, oh, Tom Petty, whatever. But if you play, his, um, if you, play you know, so much of his music is, is so instantly recognisable, and, and yet you wouldn't necessarily, I think there's a lot of people out there who would, recognise his songs but wouldn't instantaneously go, oh, Tom Petty, what a, what a legend. Um, yeah, he's, he, he's one of the greats for me. So, um, yeah, that's probably one that springs to mind off the top of my head. But, geez, I mean, we could, we could sit here and probably go on for hours talking about it. But, look, to, to, to follow up on your points with each other, what, I mean, like you, I was absolutely shocked to, to read that this morning. Probably shouldn't be shocked given that the guy was 80 years old. But, yeah, I've got a, I've got a lot of... Uh, a lot of respect for drummers and, and the people who quietly sit at the back uh, as, as the, the glue, and I'm sure you could probably appreciate that as well. Absolutely. The drummer and the band. Total respect for Charlie Watts. Uh, total respect for Andrew Gordy and to Pat McKendry. Thanks so much for being on the panel this morning. Uh, what I found out about Pat McKendry is he's a greyhound man. He went to the Wimbledon bags. Mm. Okay, plot thickens. Uh, 10.41 here on SENZ. More text, please. We've got a screed coming in about your choices uh, for All Black Captain and uh, on the uh, reappointment of Ian Foster as well. Uh, please keep them coming in. 88 33 if you dare to phone us. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Who's the All Black Captain or who should be the All Black Captain? Boy, does that get you guys fired up with an opinion. 
Uh, Anton Leonard-Brown for captain, says Chase. Uh, maybe just in for the time being. Luke Jacobson, uh, says Earl. Um, give it to Bodie, says Anthony. Cody Taylor, the skipper of the AB. Scott Barrett will be the captain, in my opinion. Uh, one for the future, says Dean. Um, left field, uh, Luke Jacobson. Well, it's uh, two of you. Should be starting at number eight in, at the moment and probably the most highly regarded captain of the under-20s over the last 10 years. Um, it's very interesting in that regard in terms of uh, what you... Uh, Cody Taylor uh, is another strong suggestion there. What about Paddy T? Paddy T is, is another option, of course, captaining the Blues pretty successfully. Uh, uh, also uh, about uh, Ian Foster... Uh, it's been a long morning. It's been a long time in sport. The AB's performance at Eden Park undoubtedly secured uh, Foster's reappointment to the World Cup. I also uh, removed uh, some question marks over him for uh, for me as well. Uh, yes, Foster has lost some Test matches. Uh, this is a good one, but has he lost any trophies yet? Uh, for example, the Bledisloe Cup, the Tri Nations. We expect far too much. I feel a thirty-plus point wins every time is just not realistic. End of the day, we just want to win the trophies, even if we lose one or two matches along the way. It's all okay, people. Relax. Uh, here's an interesting one. Uh, how did uh, Keith Richards outlive Charlie Watts? Well, uh, I suppose the, the, the big question there is, has he? Uh, do we really know that Keith Richards is still alive? I, I suppose uh, he is, but uh, there's been some conjecture there. Uh, look, when we come back, we've got uh, Louis Herman Watt waiting for us. And we'll visit uh, the TAB. And this morning, I think it will, yes, it'll be Paul Mawati. So. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> And of all, as always, at this time, we're joined by Louis Herman Watt of Breakfast Fame, but uh, more importantly, of Racing Fame as well at this point in time. Uh, I always think, uh, when I talk about spring racing, Louis, I always think Foxbridge Plate. Yeah. It's always the signal that we're underway, uh, you know, at, at Tarapa there. So uh, what's going on as regards that race? Yeah, you, you're right, Smithy. It is. It is. It, is. it kind of kicks us off. And it'd be a travesty if we can't run it. So we're all crossing our fingers that it's going to happen. And and if it does on Saturday, we're going to be treated to a day of awesome racing at Tarapa alone. I know there's Ashburton, Cashburton, and Awapuni we can dig our teeth into later in the week. But I've just got the fields here. So... Our friend uh, Paul Mawati at the TAB, he says that, the and this is about right for New Zealand markets for a Saturday meet, the odds will come up, the fields with the odds, the final fields will come up at about 2pm-ish on Wednesdays, and I tell you what it's going to be today. It's going to be a race to who can get to race six the first, and how much money they're going to put on Imperatries in the Cambridge Stud Northland Breeders Stakes. And I I don't know what we're going to get, I'm really, really interested because in the race, I wish I win Jamie Richards' Savabil, uh gelding for uh, Waikato Stud, or he might, I might have just prematurely gelded him. No, he is a gelding. I'm sure that's not what Waikato Stud were hoping for, but he can gallop. Is in the race. Baldara, Mille Fiore, Palamos, Magneto. It's a nice little race. Treasure State as well for O'Sullivan Scott, Wexford. It's a nice race, but... When we spoke to Jamie Richards in the weekend, he cannot wait to get Imperatries to the races. So that's very exciting news. So race six, I don't know what they'll open them, but we'll be having a bet. Well, I will be. 
Uh, Willie, uh, Willie, I was going to say Willie, Louis, Louis. I don't know why I said Willie there. Uh, anyway, Louis, uh, to be uh, looking forward to the weekend in Australia. Uh, also a busy time of the year. I, I just absolutely love it. They forge on regardless, it seems. Uh, what have we got uh, lined up in, with New Zealand interest? Would you know? I know it's Wednesday afternoon. It's about field declaration time, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, Mimsy Stakes will have Aegon. And I think Aegon's eventual target is the Golden Eagle. You want to go and win all that cash up there in Sydney, but the Mimsy's a great place to kick off. Fresh, it'll be about eleven dollars. I think you probably get you'll probably get double digits if you shopped around early and could find the you know the fours or fives of place. Well done. But I'll be interested to see what they open Aegon. Uh, Probabil will probably be a three dollar ish favourite in the Cockrum starting her campaign. She'll have to lug the big big weight, but in the autumn she went down there and kicked off fresh up and just won so beautifully. And I think that was at Caulfield as well. So those are the Kiwis down there. We've got Carmelas over there as well. Sword of State, um, the young Tiakau Colt. If it's a wet track, I believe they're racing at Kimbler because of COVID protocols. If it's a wet track, don't be surprised to see Sword of State not run. He is vulnerable if the track's wet and he is worth a lot of money now. Um, Cambridge Stud being the majority ownership racing in the Bumblebee colours, so they won't want to run him and damage his reputation. And then, of course, back here, the Foxbridge Plate, where at 2pm today we should get some odds. Expect Avantage to be super skinny, I reckon, Smithy. And probably 1.7, 1.8, Tavi Mac, maybe just over $3. That looks like the Quinella. I mean, she's just a wonder mare, isn't she? Uh, busy race day today, actually, uh, across the Tasman. I always love Wednesdays and Saturdays in that regard. Tell us about... The one you tipped out this morning, this wheels horse. Give well, us a little bit of background there, please. Give my audience the benefit of that one too. Yeah, well, actually, great point. Um, and this is Baz. This is Baz's work, courtesy of the lion tamer Chris Moore, who just goes very well finding these Kiwis into Australia. Ipswich race five, I believe, number three. Wheels, that's off the top of my head. How good's this? Our friends at the TAB have come to the party. Even though Baz has been toweling them up with the Lion Tamer's tips, they've come to the party and said, if you back this final field market, in the final field market, it runs second, third or fourth, we'll give you your money back in a bonus bet up to $30. But it's Wheels, it ran in a heavy bog at Otaki and won by like three or four lengths. They had lots of rain over it in Queensland yesterday. So it is more than a chance, Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. It is 11.03 here on SENZ Mornings and uh, talk about sacrificing a lot for the greater good. Uh, bear in mind uh, these three Kiwi blokes who have uh, been spending lockdown in their Dunedin office to make sure that the world gets its groundbreaking graphics uh, through to our particular television sports coverage uh, uh, of our choice, really. Uh, Sam Bremner, Ben Meinong-Thompson and Elliot Smith uh, have uh, moved their beds from home, uh, basically, into their office at Animation Research Limited. Within hours of COVID lockdown, they just got in in time, uh, so they could carry on regardless. Uh, and we're joined by Ben this morning. Uh, good morning to you, Ben. Uh, how's uh, the relationship between you three going at the moment? That's the most important thing. Good morning. Um, yeah, it's actually going surprisingly well so far. Um, yeah, we haven't rubbed each other's heads off just yet. <laughs> so uh, it may well be coming. Uh, look, this is, uh, of course, um, the, the company uh, founded by uh, Sir Ian Taylor as well, and, and you guys are delivering graphics all around the joint. In fact, at the weekend uh, under lockdown, 
you've provided uh, coverage of uh, ball flight. These are the folks, uh, the ball flight uh, and the distances, etc., uh, the fly-throughs at golf courses around the world. So you did the Czech Open, the Northern Trust uh, Tournament in New York, and the Women's Open at Carnegie in Scotland. That is amazing. Uh, how the heck do you do it? If you could break it down to pretty simple terms, uh, how could you actually possibly even do that out of Dunedin? Um, yeah, so basically last year when uh, the world kind of stopped, we, everyone flew back to, to Dunedin and we had to figure out how we were going to continue our operations that you know usually we're on site at all these events and in Europe and America and all around the show so um, through level four last year we had to, a couple of people um, in the office had to come up with some pretty quick thinking ideas of how we were going to do this from our office here so with um, a bit of smart uh, we figured out how we could basically just use the internet or, or not public internet but and uh, tap into these broadcasts around the world and uh, just operate everything that we'd normally done from on-site into then so sending all the, the data from um, the course over there to, to here and then we send it back to them and show ball positions and ball flights and yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool actually. So um, if you weren't at work at the moment that wouldn't be happening is that true? Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, just the the nature of the tech that we've got in the office means it would be impossible to sort of take it all home. There were discussions with that originally, but yeah, it was going to be far too difficult to to move everything to someone's house, and the internet speed and things like that just wouldn't really make it doable anyway. So yeah, basically, it was moving here, or or there were no other options. Are they plush offices? I mean, most people think about going to work and, and having to stay at work for possibly up to a couple of weeks at one time. Um, you, you kind of think uh, about the basic requirements of, of human beings. Are, are you pretty well catered for in that regard? Yeah, we're pretty lucky. It's actually, um, the whole office just got renovated in the last year, basically. So we moved into a brand new space with um, all brand new furniture and there's a shower here and the kitchen has a sandwich press and a, a little electric uh, oven, so we're kind of make, making do with, with what we've got in that regard and making a whole heap of chicken burgers and some uh, supermarket <laughs> potato bakes and stuff like that. Okay, so let's get to uh, the ins and outs of how you, even outside of lockdown, you're, out, you're able to do this and provide this information. How many cameras or what kind of technology have you got on course uh, to guarantee the accuracy of the, the way you plot things? So we work with a company, um, Top Tracer, they're a Swedish company, and we work alongside them. When we're on site, we, we work pretty closely with them setting up the cameras as well. Um, it differs, it varies event to event. Um, some of the bigger events will have... just uh, dropped off at the moment. We'll get Ben Moinine Thompson back on very shortly. Uh, but the interesting thing is, uh, you know, we take this, this kind of technology for granted um, and we kind of expect it now. At one point it was just like, well, that's novel, that's new, that's informative, that's really cool. Uh, but now, of course, it, it's, they've reached such a high standard in there. Uh, ben, just to, if you could run through that again, uh, you're in partnership with Top Tracer. Uh, and, and after yeah, that, yeah. yeah. So we um, we work pretty closely with them on site when we're well in the past when we've been over there, and 
Um, some of the bigger events can have up to, you know, a camera on every tee box or a radar on every tee box that, that tracks the ball. And then the PGA Tour supply us when we work on that event. They have uh, people with lasers that shoot all the ball positions. So we kind of bring in all the data from all these different groups of people and consolidate it into our 3D software and then we can pump out the the different storytelling methods um, from the, the ball ball tracing and the ball positions. So what's the time lapse? It seems, and, I've, and you know, I'm a, a lay person here, I'm not that techie and savvy in that respect. What's the time taken for to get that information back to back and then get it out? Um, yeah, it's hundreds of seconds, so it's, it's not crazy. I mean, the, the time that it travels across the world. It does mean that we've had to get used to a, a time delay a little bit, so everything we do, um, yeah, sort of comes with a little bit, you know, being remote has made everything a little bit harder. Um, but I guess it's just what you, you sort of get used to it, and it's one of those other things that you sort of learn to deal with and, and get better and better at with. I mean, when we first started doing this um, last year, it, it definitely threw up a whole heap of issues, and we're slowly just making those, you know, go away with as as we learn more and more. So we're getting pretty streamlined with it now. That's not the only sport that you do, though. I mean, you've you've done cricket for a long time in terms of uh, ball tracking there, uh, and in terms of LBW decisions and things like that. Can you explain uh, for uh, the people listening in here uh, the camera set up for that because you know that has to be very defined and obviously uh, with the decisions and the technology uh, and the, the television match official coming through the, the TV umpire it's quite defining in terms of um, the outcome of a match you know many of these decisions so explain the technology and the, the accuracy of that Yeah so the cricket um, is a little bit more complicated just because like you say we're you know we're changing results of the game potentially so it's a little bit more stressful um so we have four cameras that are, are set up um we set them up before each game obviously and they're high frame rate cameras um we can track the ball because the four different angles give us a pretty good look at the ball coming down the pitch and then um we can predict the path after that but yeah that that's definitely a little bit more technical in terms of actually changing the course of the game for sure. Uh, yachting, uh, you've done yachting for quite some time. Um, is that, it's all the same kind of principle, is it, even out on the water? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, um, so this year was with the America's Cup, we, we sort of took a big next step in our augmented reality graphics with that and um, working with the helicopter and it's sort of, we have to put special GPS on the helicopter, sort of um, missile grade, missile grade stuff that means we can track the helicopter and gives us you know the graphics perfectly placed over the boats and things so yeah again we're constantly trying to to look at different ways we can um take these sports to the next level from a from a tv perspective so in the pipeline just say you know you've got you guys never satisfied with uh, your accuracy and and what you uh, are able to provide what kind of things Possibly across across golf, across cricket or yachting, what, what kind of possibilities could we look out for in the future? Because obviously it's it's an open door from you guys. You just keep walking through. Yeah, I mean, yeah, people don't really sit still around here. So there's, 
you know, we're constantly looking at all different sports and how we could fit into to different things like like rugby, for example, would be nice to, to do more more in that space. But um yeah, we we're definitely keen to constantly evolve and make things better and better and it just you know, different broadcasters as well expect different things like Fox Sports in America. Um, they're just crazy about this technology and things. So, you know, if we do the coverage with them with the golf and and the MLB we're working um with Major League Baseball as well and that's just kind of working with companies like that or broadcasters like that just mean everything just goes a lot faster as well. So yeah, there's there's a lot of work going on in the background um that probably a lot of people don't see or a lot of people probably don't even realise that we're involved with sports like Major League Baseball and, and things like that. So yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. So for this particular sacrifice you and uh, your two colleagues are making, do you expect a pay rise? He's a wealthy man, that's Ian Taylor. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. But um, <laughs> no, we're, we're pretty well looked after, to be honest. Uh, we've, um, yeah, everyone's been pretty pretty generous and keeps checking in on us. And I'm sure we'll be pretty well looked after. There's, there's actually been, there's been a chat of a, a, a trip to, to Millbrook for the three of us to, to celebrate afterwards. So we'll be holding Ian to that, I think, once we get out. Hey, listen, the, the other thing, of course, is that news coming through will get, uh, in terms of the future of lockdown, etc. Uh, there's a possibility South Island that people might get out of it sooner. So that would come um, on, Thursday, on Friday afternoon with a view to perhaps uh, breaking down at uh, sort of 11.59 on Friday night. Logistically, what would that mean to you guys? Uh, you just move home and then just go back into work. Is it as simple as that? Yeah, we kind of need to just clarify the, the details of Level 3. I mean, we'll be in here um, until Level 4 is completely finished, but just with Level 3, you know, you can come into work if it's for crucial things and whatnot. So I, I think we will be fine to to go home and just keep our keep our same work bubbles and things like that. So I think I think we should be okay in that respect, but we'll just double-check it all. Hey, mate, uh, congratulations on the great work that you're doing and the sacrifice uh, you're making at the moment. It sounds like it's not too bad. You're pretty comfortable in those office surroundings. So uh, really enjoy the work um, and the way that you're making golf in particular. To me, I'm a huge fan. Uh, so much clearer in terms of uh, distances and height, etc. ball speed. It's just uh, it's wonderful. Uh, and keep up the good work. Thanks for talking to us, Ben, this morning. Thanks very much, Ian. Cheers. Uh, cheers. Ben uh, Mynong Thompson there, uh, one of three blokes... Uh, making the ultimate sacrifice to make sure that our television standards are, are not slipping when it comes to the covering of sport, golf, yachting, cricket, MLB, you name it, those guys are across it. Outstanding. Uh, look, OK, uh, we've got uh, plenty of texts coming in. We still want more if you uh, want to make contact with us. 88.33, some uh, big issues this morning. Uh, and yes, uh, Paddy Lulu, I do have a, a great story uh, when it comes to meeting Charlie Watts myself. Uh, the drummer of the Rolling Stones who sadly passed away. We might just find time for it some stage before midday. 21, and so we work through towards uh, midday. Mark Stafford, of course, from uh, 12 to 4 this afternoon. Uh, yeah, Paralympics uh, news, and uh, if you're looking or wanting a, a schedule of uh, who to look out for uh, this afternoon, plenty of opportunity while we're in lockdown to get the tally on and support Jesse Reynolds uh, in the swimming at uh, 6 minutes past 12, not that far away. Uh, that's in the men's 400 freestyle. Uh, then at 8 o'clock tonight, uh, if he has qualified, that will be the grand final there. 
um, of the freestyle for 400 metres. That's in the S9 category. And, and cycling, Sarah Ellington uh, is in uh, the Class uh, 1 category. So uh, well, Category 1 is actually uh, Category 1 to 3, 3,000 individual pursuit qualifying. Anna, Anna Taylor uh, is, uh, is also in that one. Uh, Nicole Murray um, in the women's C5 3,000 metres uh, qualifying. Sarah Ellington. Uh, Anna Taylor, look out for her at 5 o'clock. Uh, the 3,000 IP medal races have qualified. And then uh, Nicole Murray as well, if she has qualified through. And wheelchair rugby begins this afternoon as well uh, at 2.30 with the Wheel Blacks taking on the USA. We wish them all the best. Uh, mixed text, is, text this morning coming in. Uh, my issues with uh, Foster, says Zane, is that I don't think we have maintained a high level of fundamental skills since Wayne Smith left, and I don't believe we have maintained a high level of motivation either. That's an interesting one, not motivated. Uh, oh, sorry, innovation. Uh, motivation shouldn't be a problem playing in the black jersey, should it? But innovation, in other words, we can't, haven't in, invented much uh, as, at all uh, in terms of our match plans, etc. I look at the Crusaders under Scott Robertson, and they have done both. He would be my choice, and before people assume I'm uh, a Crusaders fan, I'm from the hut, not Christchurch. Uh, we also need to see the All Blacks adapt to the Northern referees a lot quicker than the past. Otherwise, we will get penalised off the park, which has been happening far too much in the past. This starts from the coaching panel and our skipper, Sam Whitelock, who leads from the front. Uh, that is uh, from Jeff the Ref. Uh, interesting one here. So if, uh, a few weeks ago, the Warriors can't get MIQ spots till uh, December the 12th. How are the All Blacks getting back in before Christmas? Well, uh, I think they planned this a long, long way out. I'm not sure whether behind the scenes they get some sort of preference. We're told that they don't, uh, but they have got bookings to come home uh, on around the 23rd of November, as uh, we heard from Mark Robinson. But uh, anyone else, he said, that, that wasn't involved in that group, uh, associated with it, has to take their chance like everybody else. So, uh, John, in, in that respect, we... Um, we, we learned a lot this morning from Mark Robinson. That was good, but uh, no preference there. Uh, the schedule's good. We're excited about what's going to happen. There's mixed uh, emotions about who should be uh, the All Black captain. Who would be yours? Who would be your All Black captain? Yeah, it's interesting. The cupboard isn't bare, exactly. I mean, there's still a lot of Super Rugby leaders in that squad that will be heading across that we've talked about before. Patrick Tupilotu, he captains the Blues. Scott Barrett, he captains the Crusaders. They're both there. And Artie Savia. Uh, captains the Hurricanes, doesn't he? And so those are all captains captains of their franchises, but I don't think they'll be the ones getting the job. I think it'll be Cody Taylor. I think he's the the solid choice at this point in time, but he doesn't play the full 80. So when he goes off, uh, someone else will be captain, won't they? Um, Bowden Barrett, I think, is a pretty good option as well. I think he's captained the side against the Barbarians before and probably will be one of the most capped players uh, when it comes to that team, and will be in the 10 jersey. So I wouldn't be upset if it was Bowden, um, but I think it would be Cody Taylor at this point in time, Smithy. That's a good point, actually, you make, because at the 60-minute mark, we invariably look to change our hooker. Uh, and I, I don't see too many runaway victories in this series on neutral ground. I, I really don't. I don't think to see too many smashings to the point where you're quite easy going into the last uh, 20 minutes. So uh, contributions off the bench, I think, are going to be huge. Change of captaincy tactics at that time going to be huge. So yeah, really very very interesting point that you make there. So uh, look, Charlie Watts has uh, has passed away, drummer of the Rolling Stones, and uh, I was lucky enough to meet him. And I'll I'll tell you how I was 
with John Wright. We were walking back from Lords to our hotel. It was called the Westmoreland back then. It was about a walk of about three or four hundred yards. Uh, and then you walk through the nursery bar on the ground level, and uh, then you make your way up to the foyer, and you get a lift up to your relative room. So I'm, I'm walking and uh, walking behind Wrighty, and I, I walk straight into his back. Bang! Straight into his back. We just had a tracksuit on. We hadn't had a shower or anything like that. It was just, uh, it was just across the road, Lords. And I walked straight into his back. He said, "What?" I said, "What's happened?" He said, "Stop! Look in the corner over there." He said, "That's Charlie Watts, the drummer of the Rolling Stones." I said, "Really? Really?" Nah, can't be. He said, yeah, it is. It is. He said, we can't miss this moment. Go and get us a couple of pints. Go on, get us a couple of pints. We can't just go over there without a couple of pints. He said, well, go and get us a couple of pints, uh, and I'll go over there. So he went over, and he broke the ice. And so I went over, and I bought a couple of pints at the bar in our New Zealand track. So it's a good look, obviously. Things are different back in 1983, I promise you. Uh, and so we, it was uh, probably about half past six. Gentlemen's hours finished at six o'clock. So half past six, 20 to seven. Um, and it was interesting actually. I just kept buying the pints as we went through the evening. So at closing time, around about ten o'clock, about three and a half hours later, um, that's it. We're done. Uh, I spent the whole time hardly got a question in, but right, you wanted to talk music. Unbeknownst to me, Charlie Watts was a huge cricket fan. He'd been at Lords that day, and he wanted just to talk cricket. So John Wright and Charlie Watts are talking race, uh, music and cricket. I'm buying the pints. That's what it looks like. So at that point, uh, we'd sacrificed dinner, of course, uh, and we just kept on going. This is not a good look. This is during a test match, right? We're in the field. We're in the field, of, uh, and I have to wicket keep the next morning on the dot of 11 o'clock. And I can see that this is not going to end well. So uh, in the end, the three of us pretty well fonged, to be honest, pretty well fonged. Uh, and I'm, oh, I'm going, okay, so finally we left... Um, I actually think I went up to my room and uh, I got my tour tie, and I think you have a couple of those. So I gave one, I gave one, one of my tour ties to Charlie Watts, uh, and we tried to, you know, I, I guess we put him in his, his cab at the end of the night, and, and he headed off back to his luxury apartment or where he was living in, around London somewhere, and we got to bed. So the next day, of course, you know, we could not not tell the story of how we'd spent the night with Charlie Watts. I mean, that is just so good, uh, but. They're not stupid. Teammates are not stupid. They knew for a fact that we were hungover. We were absolutely hungover to beat the band for a, um, a, a bad pun. And so we were on notice. I was on notice because I'm in the field keeping to Richard Hadley and whoever. Um, John Wright uh, has got a bat at some stage during the day, so he's on notice. But we just could not not tell the fact that what we'd done the night before. Uh, and in the end, it worked out pretty well. Um, I, I think I, I didn't make too many glaring errors because everyone was looking at you, including the bowlers. And John Wright uh, actually got some runs under pressure. But we'll never forget the time, the three or four hours that we spent. Uh, we didn't have team protocols back in those days, but it was just the best, most amazing experience to spend that kind of time with a bloke of that stature in the world. Um, and off the cuff, in the corner of a bar on the way home from the cricket. I mean, that's just how it can happen in England. It's such a special place in that regard. So um, I'm sorry that Charlie Watts has left us, and, uh, you know, he's been fantastic. Uh, just the, the, the drummer at the back of the band. Uh, I wrote a book called um, The Drummer and the Band, and uh, that was about my story as being the wicketkeeper. The wicketkeeper and, uh, and the cricket team is the guy that sort of keeps the, the pace, keeps the momentum going, but doesn't stand at the front with a microphone in front of him 
and get all the glory and that sort of thing. That's the Mick Jagger kind of thing. It was based on that conversation, actually, with Charlie Watts. That whole, the whole title of that book was based on that conversation with Charlie Watts and the fact that uh, he's such a brilliant bloke. So I'm, I'm pretty sad to see that he's gone and left us. Um, yeah, I really am. However, that, that does not mean that we can't proceed as normal, and that means around this time, Stump Smithy is on, um, and you can call 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. See if you can stump the drummer in the band this time, anyway around. Good luck to you. England. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct, unfortunately, Zaid. So, Smithy, a chance for a stumping. Yeah, I'm going to say Uruguay. That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Smithy has nailed that. Unfortunately, Zaid, you have been stumped and you leave with, no- leave with nothing. Okay, thank you. Try again another day, mate. Thanks, Zaid. Yep, Appreciate thank it. You. Continue to listen. John from Upper Hutt. G'day, mate. Hey, mate. How you going? Yeah, very well, thank you. How's your football knowledge? Not very good, and I see Smithy's got his eye on what a good start. I'm, am I able to change that to cricket, or too early for that? Oh, what do you reckon, Smithy? Do we do favours here? We do favours on this show. I mean, we just bend over backwards for people like John from Upper Hutt, I'm sure. So whatever you like, John, you take your pick. We, we, you just name it. Name one. <laughs> cricket. Cricket. I like cricket. Cricket. Smithy. Yeah, mate. Okay, good on you, pal. Wow, so Smithy was in, on fire in football. One question in, we've changed to cricket. All right, question number one for John from Upper Hutt. Stewie Dempster is regarded as one of New Zealand's greatest ever batsmen, even though he only played 10 tests between 1930 and 1933. What was his average? Yeah, uh... Hold it here. We, let's, be, let's be fair, John. I, I'm going to be joining... Uh, with you on this, John from Upper Hutt against John, uh, John from uh, SENZ. I mean, what do you mean? You, you want his fifty-nine point six two three recurring? Uh, what are you looking at I don't at want here? decimal points. Somewhere just, between what? Just, just the runs will do. Uh, <laughs> you know, everyone knows Don Bradman's average. Why don't we all know Stewie Dempster's average? Oh, okay. <laughs> I think you've just answered your own question there. But moving along, John, have a crack. Uh, we'll go. 58.3. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct, but if Smithy gets it wrong, then you stay alive. Okay, I do believe it might have been in the 50s. I'll go a little bit lower, 51. Feet everywhere, body nowhere, and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. 65.72. That's a hell of an average. Oh, my God. Yeah, same as about Graham Pollock, actually, from South Africa. Moving along. Yep, absolutely. Got to restart the music, too. Question number two, still alive, John from Upper Hutt. Who was the first New Zealander to play 200 one-day internationals? Martin Crowe. Feet everywhere, body nowhere, and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. Not correct, unfortunately, John. Smithy? No. I reckon I'm going to have a, a little stab here. I think it's something around about um, the McCullum era, around about that, about Stephen Fleming's era. So I'm tossing up here between Stephen Fleming and Daniel Vittori. They're my two. I, I'm going to go for Daniel Vittori. He's got it. He's out, caught. No, Smithy. Not correct. Chris Harris. 
was the first one to 200 oh. ODIs Harry. for New Zealand. Harry, what, the great man, Chris Harris. So, John, you're still alive, mate. Awesome. How good Thanks. was Harry, one, by the me? way? Yeah. Oh, you're going to go three questions for John or, or just two? Yeah, going to go three on cricket. Yeah. Yeah, okay. he started from the start, so he gets all three. Finally, John, to get that 50 bucks from the TAB, who scored 267 not out against Sri Lanka in a test at Carisbrook in 1994? Mm. I'm from Dunedin, and I was just getting into cricket about then. Um, were, you, were you old there? Were you, were you an old bloke back then? Yeah, were you or old were you or old? something oh, no. else? I was, I was about seven. But, uh, so you were quite what? I, quite what? I got a... I think Brian Young. <laughs> oh, Just well a couple done, of chips down over here. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, brilliant, brilliant, Smithy. Yep, it was Brian Young, the ball in the pocket, and they um, declared that innings, didn't they, Smithy? He could have been our first triple centurion. He could have been, actually. Wouldn't have been to a nicer bloke either. Uh, triple century... Brian Barry Young. So, yeah. Definitely uh, one of my very good. best uh, memories, that one. Yeah, you've done well, oh, John. Yeah. You've done very well, and you've won 50 bucks from the TAB. Thanks to Brian Young and thanks to Stump by Smithy. So stay on the line and give us your details. Cheers, guys. Excellent. Excellent result, John. Extremely well done. Now, 11.38 here on SENZ, and we have this special segment uh, every Wednesday. It's called Sports No Joke, and uh, our subject of Sports No Joke this morning is the very funny... Guy Williams, you'll know him. He's been on a lot of shows. Uh, he's a very funny bloke, uh, and he's with us very shortly. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Sports, no joke. We like sports and we don't care who knows. From Wimbledon to the Astrodome. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Football, football, football. A chance Ever since we first met... It just felt right. Wow. Man, we just don't want you to get hurt. Like I did. This is different. I'm in love. I'm in love with the mighty Vodafone Warriors. Chahu. A story of true love. This team is different, eh? They are so much fun. They've got like 30 new jerseys every year. And a butcher who is mad. A story of hope. All right. Game day, baby. Let's go, the boys! A story of heartbreak. No, no, no! Why'd you pass to him, you idiot? No! A story of more hope. This year is our year. Let's go, the boys! A story of heartbreak again. Oh, how did you cock that up? A story of just a little bit more hope. Yes, 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 yes! And also heartbreak. Oh, no, no, no! Uh, he's a funny man, is Guy Williams, uh, and you will have seen him uh, do great work with Jono and Ben. Of course, he's got uh, a show at New Zealand today as well, and uh, I'm hearing through the grapevine that Guy Williams loves his sport. He's uh, a good Nelson man. So I guess uh, this morning we say straight away to you, Guy, fins up to you, fins up. Fins up to the Taz and Marco, fins up to the boys. Privileged to be on the show, Ian. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem at all, mate. Um, you've got an allegement uh, with the Marco uh, uh, as well, of course, down there. You've also come from Nelson being a basketball city. Tell us a wee bit about your sporting connections down there. Oh, I grew up just obsessed with the Nelson Giants, like rugby. I, I still supported Nelson Bay's rugby as well. But um, in Nelson, it was really, when we were second division, it was all about the um, the Giants. And I actually grew up 
my coach was Trevor Wright, the first man ever to coach the New Zealand men's and women's basketball team. So he gave me connections to get to meet Phil Jones and all the lead, Peter Pokai and all the legends of the Nelson Giants. So I was so lucky to be coached by uh, Trevor Wright and, you know, grew up basketball mad because of it. So you're a tall dude. What, what are you, what's your height and what position were you as a young basketballer? Well, I'm I'm six foot I'm six foot five, but that's a real six foot five. Kiwis always lie about their height, and um, uh, so I was kind of a, a forward coming through high school. But really, at a higher level, that's kind of supposed to be a um, a, a guard. So I kind of tried to play small forwards um, for the Wellington Saints, and it didn't it didn't work out too well. And my professional basketball career didn't didn't last very long, unfortunately. Well, you've come up with some names there, the Marco. The Giants, uh, of, course, of course, the Saints, and they are such a famous uh, New Zealand basketball team. So uh, names are obviously a part of your life in terms of sporting teams. So you'd be an interested man thinking that uh, New Zealand football might be changing the name of the All Whites, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with this, uh, Smithy. I, it's one of those things where what they've done here is they have... They're doing something that they should do, you know, like reassessing their brand. And then all the clickbait news headlines are now just trying to, you know, rile up talkback listeners and clickbait news headlines by making it into a bigger story than it is. I mean, it makes sense that the All Whites would, like, reassess their brand like any brand should. And um, it annoys me that people are trying to blow this into a big story when really it's not. In my opinion, I don't think All Whites... I mean, I mean, I'm a white guy. My opinion probably doesn't really matter, but it's obviously not a racial thing. It's a, um, you know, it's a parody of the All Blacks, is what it is. But my opinion is, it's just a pretty crummy name for a team. Like, um, you know, it's like it's like, you know, based on another team. A, a team should want to carve their own history. They don't want to, you know, appropriate another another team. So I, I just think it's a pretty crummy name, and I think it should change, not because of racial connotations, but just because it's it's. It's stupid to chant all whites, all whites. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Does it make sense to, to, to still chant Crusaders then? No. You, look, you're, you're pressing my buttons here knowing that this is a passionate <laughs> topic of mine. There's no way there should be a rugby team in Christchurch called the Crusaders. I thought it was the worst name in New Zealand sports before um, the tragedies that have befouled Christchurch. But I made a story all about it. I think it's ridiculous that that sports team has called that name and um you know anyone who knows the history will know that it's a it's a bad idea and shivers people say oh the crusaders it's such a historic name it's not i was a kid when that name came about we thought rugby purists thought it was a bad name in 1996 they thought they should just been called canterbury they thought it was a fad to begin with so don't give me that oh there's so much heritage in the name you could easily change the name of the canterbury rugby team and um canterbury would be better for it i think Okay, right. I, I sense a, a little bit of passion behind some of these uh, these comments, Guy Williams. Is uh, <laughs> lockdown? Can you find any humour in lockdown, for God's sake? Yeah, well, I know, no, because no, I, I assumed you, you. No, Ian, what you've done here is you intent. You tried to rile me up. You knew that these were my passionate subjects. I've actually made a. Oh, people can see my views on the Crusaders. I've actually made a. New Zealand Today story about it. I do think it's hilarious, but it's also kind of um, it's also kind of interesting that New Zealand is just kind of like I don't know, not not having like a proper debate about these names. Um, yeah, I just I, I just I just 
Yeah, I get I get worked up about it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I, I've made it too serious already. Not not very humorous <laughs> for a comedian, I guess. <laughs> no, I, love, I actually love it. I, I I really do, guy. But in all honesty, you know, um, lockdown for you. What does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean for your sense of humour? I um I, I I weirdly enjoy lockdown because it's a good chance to write and to like you know get back to basics. Like you know, like there's no there's no excuses when there's nothing you can do. So I, I weirdly enjoy just being stuck inside with nothing much more to do than just focus on upcoming projects and stuff like that. And there's a lot of weird things happening in New Zealand right now that are good for New Zealand today, season three. I'll tell you what. Um, spread your legs comment the other day. I don't know if you got that, but as soon as yeah. I get out of lockdown, yeah. I'm getting right into that. I'll tell you that right now. That was one of the legendary all-time New Zealand um, commentary faux pas. I loved it. <laughs> I think well, that was Chris Hipkins, wasn't it? Uh, the Minister of Health. I would imagine during lockdown, yeah, a lot of people yeah, that were exploring. That must have happened to you. Spreading my legs, right? You must have had a few. No, no, not spread your legs, but you know, like sayings like that. You know. Oh God Almighty! You've got all sorts of connotations going through my head. Uh, Look, I've had some terrible moments in commentary, guy. Uh, Too many to to really uh, recollect at any one time. Uh, So uh, at some stage, if lockdown continues, I'll get them out of the suitcase. Um, But hey, look, what what can we look forward to? (laughs) Uh, on what can we look forward to on New Zealand today uh, and, and look forward to hearing from, from Guy Williams and uh, all going well very shortly. Man, okay, one of my favourite stories at the moment um, is uh, uh, Trevor the Lotto Bogan. I've been trying to track him down for about three years. He's the guy who won um, $26 million into Kofita and then spent all the money on racing cars and dirt bikes. I think he's a Kiwi legend needs to be celebrated um but there's a whole bunch of stories that i'm trying to find right now and i'm welcome to suggestions if you don't want to hit me up on social media weird stories around new zealand and to be honest the all whites name is probably one of them as well like these are just like weird quirky things like no one thought when the name all whites came up that it would be also like you know racial or like sensitive like that and it's just the way people get into de- debates about this or the debates about the utes and all that, I, I find that quite humorous, the way it kind of works people up and people get really fired up about it. I don't know. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of material out there to work with, I guess. Love your work, Guy. Absolutely love your work. And uh, I love it that you found, found uh, uh, 10 minutes of your time to, to spend with us this morning. You are a funny man. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, and I look forward to uh, the next editions of New Zealand Today. And hopefully you can track down uh, Chuck Trace that uh, unlucky lotto man or that lucky lotto man who, who blew it all uh, on the uh, weird kind of luxuries. Guy Williams was sports no joke. Uh, when we come back uh, here on SENZ, just time to join Mark Stafford. Uh, of course, he's a very serious man. No joke about Staff. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just two minutes to 12, this gives us a chance to get across the desk to Mark Stafford, who I'm sure has a busy afternoon planned, Staffy. I have Smithy. <laughs> the mics are on. I have Smithy. Um, straight after the news, really. Well, pretty close to straight after the news. Cody Taylor out of the All Blacks camp. Uh, they're heading off tomorrow, Ooh. I think. So just uh, 
having a chat to him just about life in general really and then we're going out into the Hauraki Gulf with Steve Hathaway who's sort of the modern day Jacques Cousteau if you like about uh, he's a fascinating man I met him earlier this year and I thought let's share his story with uh, the listeners then we're going to Arizona Uh, Rebecca Mobley is uh, the marketing manager of one of the best stadiums in the world, State Farm Insurance Stadium where the Arizona Cardinals play and all this talk about the Christchurch Stadium and I ask her, what's important in a good stadium? It's more than just capacity, so getting her on Uh, Andrea Nelson as well who's the CEO of the ICC Women's Cricket World Cup, but they've got this little program organised for kids at home during lockdown, some 10 cricket school exercises and stuff, we're all about helping people that are at home Two o'clock, Tana Umanga joins us, um, talking through his decision to get involved, what's his business that he's getting involved in, so looking forward to catching up with T. Gosh, I've got a whole heap here, haven't I? And we've got an MP on this afternoon, Kieran McAnulty, Member of Parliament for Wairarapa, um, just telling us what life's like for a politician in lockdown and how they go about their work and stuff like that. He's a former TAB bookie as well. So a bookie to a politician doesn't get much better than that. No, it doesn't actually. That's probably the most uh, interesting transition of jobs I've ever heard. (laughs) Mark Stafford, between 12 and 4 this afternoon. Thanks very much, Trudy. News has been outstanding, of course, this morning. Brian, brilliant. JD, look up Brian Young. The year that he got that uh, double century, will you? So at the moment... It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.